This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. When God moves into your life, He changes your desires. He supernaturally regenerates your human soul and causes you to start wanting things that He wants and start hating things that He hates. This is a miraculous thing that only God can do. No amount of religion is going to do this. No amount of church attendance is going to do this. No amount of giving money to things is going to do this. It's something that God, by His Holy Spirit, has to supernaturally do within you. A caterpillar can't halfway transform into a butterfly. It can't hold on to its life as a caterpillar and expect to fly. It has to go through the transformation and come out of the cocoon as a new creature. Today, Pastor Cody shows us that when we give our life to Christ, we undergo a transformation as well. We can't bring about this transformation on our own by words or good deeds. We have to be transformed by the Spirit dwelling inside us. The good news is that the Spirit is promised to us. We only need to ask. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. That false God exists solely for your purposes and your pleasures. That's the only reason it exists. It's there to serve you and your thing. And anything that that is that small, that is that finite, that is that powerless, isn't big enough to be God and is not worthy of worship. It's not worthy of us worshiping that kind of a God. Notice verse 24, it says this, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. See that exchange? That that there's this willful rejection of God's truth in order to lift up what is actually a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, the slogan of the world is this. If it feels good, then it is good. If it feels good, then it is good. Pleasure and comfort and ease are exalted. Think about your own life. How much time do you spend? How much effort do you spend? How much money do you spend on pleasure, on comfort, and on ease? I would wager a guess that most of your life is spent pursuing that. That's typically what we're chasing after. The way I eat has everything to do with pleasure. The way that I spend my time has everything to do with pleasure. The way that I pursue things and the stuff I spend money on has everything to do with comfort and pleasure and ease. And if those are exalted, then what what happens is that it's not only the idea of if it feels good, then it is good. Then the next step is if it makes me feel bad, then it is bad. If it doesn't make me feel good, then it must be bad. And people with this mentality, which is most of humanity, this is where most of us live our daily lives, we reject God and we do so because the truth is that God is good and that you are not and you deserve his wrath. And that makes you feel bad right? And so if that makes me feel bad, then it must be bad. And so God must be bad. He must be a monster. He must be Hulk and he must be irrational and crazy. And because I deserve his wrath, well, no, that makes God bad. No, that's not truth at all. That's not the way it works at all. 
You need to feel that. You need to feel the weight of your deserving of God's wrath. Why? Because that's the bad news. And when you understand the bad news, it makes the good news so much better. Because the reality is that Jesus has taken the wrath of God for you. That Jesus has stepped into that place to receive the righteous, good, appropriate wrath of God against your sin to pay for it in your place so that you don't have to. So that instead you could be the object of God's love instead of the object of God's wrath. Verse 25 When feelings have the supreme position, we will justify sinful desires by turning reality on its head. We'll exchange the truth of God for the lie. We'll turn reality on its head. And even though it's clearly evil, we'll call it good. We'll say, no, 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 that's good. That's actually something that is is right. It's appropriate. It's what we should do. You see, we deserve God's wrath because we replace God's truth. That's the second reason why we deserve God's wrath. Not only do we suppress God's truth, but then we replace God's truth. Thirdly, not only the suppression of God's truth and the dispossession of God's truth, but the augmentation of personal truth. Look at verse 26. It says this, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, here in this section, we have a a list in verse uh, 29 that continues on with a list of different kinds of sins. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But one of the things I want to point out here is that there are here in verses 26 and 27, two verses given specifically to a specific sin. It's the sin of homosexuality. It's the sin of, of, you know, replacing what God has designed. Now, when God is rejected and substituted, then it's only a matter of time before people will make themselves to be God. It's not just like, you know, I'm going to suppress God's truth. Well, I'm going to replace it with something else. No, the next step is I'm going to place myself in the position of God. I get to decide. I am my own authority. Wrong theology produces wrong sexuality. That's what this is talking about. When you have the wrong theology, you're going to end up with the wrong sexuality. Having unbiblical views about the origin of the world, the origin of life and creation itself results in unbiblical views about sex. That's just the way that it goes. And so here's where we see this playing out, that if there's no God, then he hasn't designed me. I'm just a random happening of molecules bumping together and then from the goo to the zoo to you, and here I am. And now there is no God. He's not in charge. He doesn't decide. I decide. I get to pick what's right. I get to decide what is truth. Now, Homosexuality here, as we see in verses 26 and 27, this would include anything that uh, would have to do with, you know, gender confusion or transgenderism or anything that's associated with the LGBTQ or whatever community. All of that stuff, it would be included in this. And notice the descriptions in verses 26 and 27. The descriptions we have are that it's vile, it's unnatural, it's shameful, and it's an error. You see those words? Now, hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to pick out one person or one group of people and let's beat them up. Not at all. 
But this is something that God's word does give two verses out of five that are given over to these sins. Two verses are specifically given in detail about this specific sin. There's something that God wants to point out to us and say, this is not okay. This is not something that is to be received. You see, the reason that, that it's described this way with these words of vile and unnatural and shameful and error is because this idea, homosexuality and all the things that are associated with it, reject God and exalts self as God. That's what it does. The only way you can get into that kind of a lifestyle or that kind of a uh, chosen sin is when you reject God and you place yourself as God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says it like this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say it to you this way. If you are professing to be a Christian and practicing any of that, what we just read in 1 Corinthians or any of what we read here in Romans 1, you're practicing any of this, including what we're talking about, homosexuality, then it proves that you might be religious, but you're not saved. You can't do this and be a Christian. Now, here's the thing. Hear me on this. What I'm not saying is that you can't struggle with sin. I'm not saying that at all. You might have a natural tendency and a proclivity towards sin, any number of sins on this list. Maybe you have a, a struggle with the idea of abusiveness or cheating people, or maybe alcohol is your thing of choice or whatever it happens to be, or maybe it is homosexuality. Maybe that's the thing that your soul is bent toward. Here's the thing. You can't have your sin and have salvation. You can't bring your sin with you and say, Jesus, you've got to accept this sin because it's part of who I am. That's just not how Christianity works. That's not the basis of how any of this works. Jesus died for that sin. Now, it's one thing to struggle with the sin, and it's another thing to tell God, you've got to accept my sin and bring me in. You see, the only right response of God towards sin is his wrath. And so you cannot profess to be a Christian and practice any of this, including homosexuality, and be saved. You're not. You might be religious, but you're not saved. Notice verse 28, and he says this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. This is the third time in this section that this phrase of gave them over is repeated. You see, people tend to think that getting away with what they want, it means it's a, it must be a good thing. That it's, you know, uh, I guess, you know, nothing happened. I thought I was going to have lightning strike me as soon as I did this thing and it didn't. And so it must be okay. It must be all right. You know, no, that, that's not the truth. The reality is that this is actually a form. God giving you over is actually a form of his wrath. It's a part of his wrath. Here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. When God gives you over, when you fight and resist God so much that he finally says, fine, you want that? Go ahead. That is a form of God's wrath. 
There are three general categories of God's wrath. And when we think of God's wrath, we tend to think of this first category. It's the final wrath of God. It's what's described in Revelation of destruction of uh, creation and a, a new creation, the uh, new heaven and new earth that God brings into existence. That's what we tend to think of God pouring out his wrath against uh, sin. And we tend to think of the final wrath. But there are two more categories. Now, the second one is provisional wrath. We'll get to this later on in Romans chapter 13, but you know the government. You do something wrong, and the government is there in order to bring to you this punishment for whatever you did. You know, you, you speed, the cop pulls you over, gives you a ticket. That's part of God's provisional wrath. The third way God's wrath is shown is through his permissible wrath, and that's what we're talking about. When God stops fighting for you, he says to you, fine, you can have it your way. That's not a good thing. That is a terrible thing. Saying, I don't feel convicted about this is not good. That doesn't make it okay. That means that you're enduring God's provisional wrath. He's giving you over to your sin, telling you, fine, you can have it. You see, lack of restraint from God is neither approval nor indifference from God. It's his wrath. It's part of his wrath against your sinfulness. You see, we deserve God's wrath because we invent our own truth. That's why we, we deserve God's wrath. Fourthly and finally, there's a rejection of any truth. Verses 29 through 32. Verse 29 says this, being filled with all, and he goes through this, unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Gosh, this is a huge list of all sorts of things. One thing I'll point out for you, maybe you're a kid, you know, you're living with your parents, you're a minor. Notice that disobedient to parents is in the same list as murderers. This is a big deal. Right? God does not, he doesn't say, well, you know, there's some things that are okay and you can be a jerk to your mom and you can, you know, not clean your room. No, that's sinful. And God says it's just as bad as something like murder. You see, the final step into depravity is to reject the truth to the point that truth becomes a silly concept. It becomes this vague idea. It's no longer your truth like before, but now there's a final step where it's not just your truth. There is no truth. You see, the point is not to single out in this section, the point is not to single out a certain sin. It's not to single out homosexuality and say, those are the yucky people. Those are the, the really filthy people. We're all categorically condemned. That's the point of this section. If you can't see yourself in this list of sins, then you're self-deluded. You are living a lie. You are listed. I am listed. We are all categorically condemned by God as deserving of his wrath. But when the truth no longer matters, then here and now is all that matters. There's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong. Everything just is. And you hear people say, well, you do you. You just do whatever it is that you want to do. And that's where we get all of this list of all of these depraved things that come from that. It's like the way that the time was in the time of Judges in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, when you read through it, people are doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And the way that the book of Judges ends, it ends with this insane story about 
this woman being literally raped to death. And then uh, I think she was a slave and her owner cuts her up in 12 pieces and sends her body parts all over the nation of Israel. It is absolute craziness. It's like, man, this is, I didn't know that kind of stuff was in the Bible. It's on that level of crazy. Now that's not there to say, hey, here's what you should do. No, it's here to say that's how bad it gets when people reject the truth. The way that the book of Judges ends, it says this, Judges 21, 25. It's the last verse in the book of Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound like our culture? Doesn't that sound like what we do today? We've dethroned King Jesus. We've kicked him out. We've decided you are not in charge And when we do whatever's right in our own eyes, we make up anything and everything to be true and right and appropriate to whatever degree that we want to. You see, we're all tempted by and attracted to sin. All of us. You have a proclivity toward sin. I have a tendency toward sin. Our desire for what God declares is wrong is that sinful desire. You know, desire doesn't magically transform what's wrong into what's good. Just because you want it doesn't mean it's okay. You can't say, well, God made me this way, so therefore it's okay. No, that's not true. That's not how this works. God made me this way is not a valid argument. Number one, no, he didn't. He didn't make you sinful. He didn't make you broken. He didn't make you wrong. Your fallen human nature makes you that way. You were born in sin. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to sin from then on, all of humanity has been born broken, born sinful, born depraved. God didn't make you that way. You have a tendency towards sin, and we all do. Sinful desires are a part of who we are are. You see, not only number one, that God didn't make you that way, but number two, your natural desires must be overcome by supernatural regeneration. It's not that I just bring my desires to God and say, here, you've got to rubber stamp this and turn it into what is good. No. When God moves into your life, he changes your desires. He supernaturally regenerates your human soul and causes you to start wanting things that he wants and start hating things that he hates. This is a miraculous thing that only God can do. No amount of religion is going to do this. No amount of church attendance is going to do this. No amount of giving money to things is going to do this. It's something that God, by his Holy Spirit, has to supernaturally do within you. Trying to get Jesus to accept your chosen sin proves you don't understand the necessity of his sacrifice for you. When you try to get Jesus to accept whatever sin you want him to accept, it proves you're not saved. You have to understand that Jesus died in the place of your sinfulness. That Jesus endured God's wrath to pay for that sin. Not so that he could turn it into something good. Not so that he could just wink at it and say, you do you. Verse 32, as we close. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, our sin deserves the condemnation of eternal death. And God is right to judge us. And deep down, we all inherently know it's true. We know it's true. Deep within our soul, we just, we know that we deserve the condemnation of eternal death. We know that God is right to judge us. I deserve judgment. 
And we deceive ourselves into thinking that because others are doing it, that means it's okay. Or because I didn't receive this judgment right away, then that means it's okay. Or, you know, maybe those people, they're doing worse than me. I mean, yeah, sure. Mine's, uh, you know, I got some sin. I got some, I got some failures. I got some weaknesses. Well, you know, we try to relabel it to make it sound not as bad, but those people, they're so bad over there. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. No, no, we're deflecting. We're trying to make our bad seem good so we can get out of this judgment. You see, making it no big deal is being blind to the truth, the big T truth. Remember that E on the I chart? It's that, it's this big truth. And the big truth is we deserve God's wrath because we deny the truth. We deserve his wrath. You see, there can be no enduring relationship where sin is allowed to thrive. Wherever sin is, it corrupts and destroys relationship. It must be eradicated by God's wrath in order for love and relationship to exist. And so God pours out his firm, settled, and perfect hostility toward all evil upon Jesus on the cross. And we see that depicted by the brutality of his execution on the cross. Just the vile brutality that Jesus endures shows us how the wrath of God is being poured out against sinfulness. You see, we have two choices. You can either choose that Jesus took God's wrath for you, that Jesus received the wrath of God for you, and by faith you believe in him and you trust in him to have appeased the wrath of God, or two, you endure God's wrath on your own. And that wrath is eternal in hell forever. Those are the two choices. There is no third option. There's no third door. There's no lawyering your way out of this. That God's wrath must be poured out upon sin. That's what's right. That's what's appropriate. And so you can either choose that Jesus died for you, or you can choose that you're going to endure God's wrath on your own. Now, for those of us who are Christians, I I want to encourage you with one thought. Those of you who are believers in in the Lord, when we come across a list of sins like this, one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to start, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, here, I know all these people who do all these things and and these people, they need to be pointed out in in this way. Now, think of it, here's an analogy for you to, to grasp with this. Think of an analogy. Whenever there's an accident, there are two types of first responders that show up. There are police and paramedics. Those are basically the two types of first responders that show up. The police are there, they show up, and they're concerned with who's wrong, who violated the law, and where to pass judgment. That's what police are concerned with. The paramedics, they show up, and they're not really concerned with who did what. They're concerned with who's dying. And they jump in, and they start saving lives. That's what they're there to do. How can I heal the people who are hurt? Now, in that, there might be a guy, he's got a severed arm, you know, and his, you know, half of his arm's sitting over there and he's just spurting blood out everywhere and walking around and you come up to him and say, hey, bro, you're going to die. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't really need any help. I'm going to be just fine. And you know that this guy, if he doesn't receive help, he's doomed. He is going to die. But if he rejects help, then he's doomed. There's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is tell him he needs help. You can't force him to be saved. Christians, we must be the paramedics who bring broken people to the great physician, the one who heals. Forget about who's right and wrong. Forget about that stuff. 
Just bring the broken people to Jesus. Let him figure it out. Let him change their lives because it's only he who can do that because God's right response toward your sin is his wrath. But Jesus already took it. Will you believe that? Will you hope in that? Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you ask him to forgive your sin? Will you stop trying to justify it? Stop trying to make room for it? Stop trying to give reasons why it's okay? It's not. It's not. Jesus had to die for it and he'll forgive you and he'll change you. You just have to ask him for it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in our midst, that Lord, you would bring your spirit to bear upon us that we might not only hear from you, but that we might submit to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Within this book, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about personal things such as greeting people he knows, but also touches on some deep theological concepts that can throw people at times. Romans is a foundational book when it comes to what you believe as a Christian. What you can't deny as you read through it is that there's a clear message of God's salvation. We as human beings are separated from God because of sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He redeems all of that and brings us into relationship with Him. Do you have such a relationship with God? We certainly hope so. If you're uncertain what that means, don't hesitate to get in touch to clear up some of the things you may not understand about salvation. You can reach us by going to redemptioncalvary.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find what we believe the Bible says about salvation. If you'd like to hear someone's voice over the phone, we can do that too. Here's our number, 720-466-5358. Once again, that's 720-466-5358. One more way to get in touch with us is over email. Our email address is info at redemptioncalvary.org. Thanks for listening. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast of Redemption Radio.